What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Junkyard Podcast. I am your host, Junkyard James. This is my guy, K-Dog. How's it going, my friend? O-G-E. James E. James E. How in the hell are you doing, friend? I'm good. I'm doing good, my friend. Um... Yeah, I'm doing good. I uh, it's been a long week. We've had some technical difficulties getting this thing going. Uh, I don't know what's been going on, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into some things. Um, first thing is first. Let's do some housekeeping. First thing we got to talk about. I do it every week. But we got to do it again for the folks, for the good old people. The Junkyard Media Group.com website. Yeah, buddy. We're talking about the Von Erics today and the Iron Claw and, and that movie. We go over here to this blog section and look at K Dog. He got himself a item on the blog, an article there. He talks about the Von Eric movie in in his own words here on the website junkyardmediagroup.com after listening to this go check out all three of these articles maybe not the last one um but the first two on the page there (laughs) (laughs) just messing just messing That logo down there got cut off a little bit. It is not the Ron Claw. It's the Iron Claw. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Iron Claw. Uh, check just, out the... Got a little, uh, little crazy with that. <laughs> yeah. Check out the audio-only version of the podcast here by clicking the podcast link down here. And as well, I guess you can check out the Slap and Meat Wrestling podcast if you want to. And you don't have to. Um, so mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little frustrated. This 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 shit's ten minutes late because of some technical shit. Anyways, let's get going. Jamie is feeling a little froggy tonight. I love it. Little froggy, little froggy. Yes, sir. Um, I guess we'll do a little bit of a breakdown of AEW Dynamite from last night. There wasn't anything super major going on except Hook. Is challenging Samoa Joe next Wednesday in Charleston. Yeah. For the AEW World Championship. If only you still live down there, my friend. Maybe you could have gone. <laughs> Listen, um, I was highly pissed off at the fact that I literally just moved away from Charleston and they announced this show. And then a couple weeks later, they said, you know what, Cody? We're sorry for doing that. We did you dirty. That's our bad. We're going to give you another show in Charlotte. First time in two years. You moved back. Big celebration. And uh, and so <laughs> all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Speaking of that, we did attend AEW Collision this past Saturday night. Live at the Bojo. Bojangles Coliseum. Bojangles Coliseum. And that's, that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. Hey, got that Bojangles. Um I want to talk a little bit about the live experience that, that may, we both we both had. AEW shows are great on TV. I think they're even better live. Um, on that Slapping Meat Wrestling podcast, 
if you if you listened in on Tuesday's episode, I listened to about the first ten minutes of it before I turned it off. Um, <laughs> um, the guy there, we too deep, a good, good friend of ours. He's my brother. I have to support him, I guess. But he says that AEW is missing something, and he thinks the thing that AEW is missing is the fact that he doesn't know the roster, which makes absolutely no sense because you could pull up the roster on fucking, I don't know, your phone or your computer or, or and, and learn the roster. And that the fact that, like, Griff Garrison came out, he didn't know who Griff Garrison was, which is, like, he's been an integral part of AEW since, I don't know, the beginning when Brian Pillman Jr. was his tag team partner. And if he would have only learned, Griff Garrison has been back wrestling for quite a while on ROHS, ROH is on Honor Club and it's not on TV. And maybe it, it, point point being is uh, laziness doesn't get you far in, in AEW. And so you not knowing who the roster is doesn't necessarily mean AEW isn't presenting the character correctly. Anyway, point being, AEW is missing something. And that's marketing. Because two years ago, AEW had a show at Bojangles Coliseum. And I think they sold about 5,500 tickets to that show. This year, last Saturday, they they ran about 3,800, I think is the final count, somewhere around there, 3,800, 3, which is a decent number compared, considering like two weeks ago, they were only at 2,800, I think. So they sold 1,000 a, a tickets in the last couple of days. Pretty good numbers there. They need to market it. They need to market the show better um, were there any negatives or positives from a fan live at the show that you experienced? I have a couple, but I'll let you go through a couple of those first. Um, I mean, I thought the crowd was pretty good for the most part. I think that uh, um, it was a solid show top to bottom. Fantastic main event with the tag match between FTR and the House of Black. So that was fun. Um, listen, we, we just not just, but we saw them in August for Collision in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And in the seven, eight months afterwards, that we four, five, six, seven, eight months that we've seen them, um, their pyro budget got a little bit bigger. Uh, it, was a, it was a little <laughs> loud, which is good. Um, I felt the, where we were, which was about uh, a little under mid, halfway up in the uh, bleachers behind the ring uh, or behind the announcers, um, so the pirate budget is up, which is good. Um, the microphone and production levels seem to be up, which is good as well. Um, seemed like we had a hard time listening to, uh, the folks on the mic in Greenville. Uh, but we didn't have no such problem in Char- in Charlotte. So that's awesome. Um, I haven't rewatched the show back since attending it, but I feel like I kept seeing stuff about Statlander having a promo on the show with her lizard. Um, and we didn't her, get to see lizard. that. So yeah, yeah. I forgot the lizard's name, but uh, it was on her shoulder, but I believe she had a promo and we didn't see that on, on the, uh, on the big screen. Um, but honestly, besides that, I mean, I thought it was a, it was a pretty solid show. The crowd was, was pretty into it for, for, uh, much of the night, not all of it. There were some down parts, but for the, for the uh, decent majority of the part of the show, it was pretty good. Is it an eyesore to see 
the other side of the arena that wasn't full sure but uh um when you have fun and you kind of get lost in the show that sometimes can uh stay out of the peripheral peripheral that happened with me especially in the main event i totally forgot that there was a hard cam section that wasn't totally full um like lost in the match because it was that good but uh yeah that's that's all that i got what what do you have on your uh your uh, good old listener so unlike my buddy our friend and my brother who said the crowd was dead most of the night? I had a different perspective. The crowd was into it. There were there were times where maybe the crowd was silent, but you have to understand the fan base that runs a in AEW is different than the fan base that typically watches or goes to a live WWE show. That and the fact that WWE pipes in sound half the fucking time. So yeah, WWE shows are loud the entire show. Um, but an AEW lets the crowd do its thing. AEW fans are, they kind of model in, in a way and a, a mixture of the Japanese and the American style, whereas they're not going to cheer for every damn thing that you do. They're going to let you do your thing and then react accordingly. Um, and so I thought the crowd was alive. The crowd was into a lot of the segments. I, I think the biggest pop of the night did go to Ric Flair, but that's obvious. It's Ric Flair. Um, and then when uh, Adam Copeland hit the spear on Kate, Kate Carter, uh, the roof went off the place. Um, and so I, I thought the crowd was into it. Um, I do have to point out a negative, and you actually pointed you actually pointed this out to me, and it kind of stuck with me. And it, and again, I talk about marketing, and I think AEW that's their biggest thing is one they need if they just market the product better in terms of like billboards and actual marketing and, and social media marketing, then they they can they can probably sell a lot of tickets to these local indie shows or local venues for their shows. But in the stadium, you have you have a pay-per-view coming up in March. And they get this little tiny banner at the top right of their of the arena. And then on the big Tron your international pay-per-view that six or seven months away from now is big, loud, and proud, except for the when Ric Flair's out there, they change that to woo energy, and maybe they change it for the video game every now and again. You're, you're promoting all in London more than you're promoting your next pay-per-view, at least visually. And I, I get that all in London's the big moneymaker for them. But, but would you not rather prefer, and hey, even for the TV audience who's not going to go to the show, hey, we have a pay-per-view coming up in March. Maybe you sh- would, should consider watching it. Maybe you should, that should be the main focus of the presentation and not a pay-per-view that's several months down the line, two or three pay-per-views away from each other. Um, that's my biggest thing it was as from a presentation side, and they could, I think they continued doing it at Dynamite. Well, not this week because the stage design at Dynamite this week was kind of cool at Daly's Place. Um, but I, I have a feeling they'll continue that. Where And I know All In is a big a big focal point. It's probably, you can maybe now call it the WrestleMania of, of uh, AEW, that, that type of environment. 
But if you want to paint it as the WrestleMania in December, when they're going to Survivor Series or Night of Champions or whatever that pay-per-view is going to be, they're not putting WWE uh, WrestleMania banners all around the st- the arena. Up into only up until where the Royal Rumble is, when there's an actual purpose for having the WrestleMania sign up there. That's when WrestleMania gets presented. That's my biggest downfall with AEW is just marketing. Um, so, yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, welcome into the people that are are just now tuning in. Had a little bit of a glitch. Had to uh, call an audible. That is a former boy uh, on a former show's name. Um, had a had a, just a, a little bit of a re- yeah yeah callback. Had a little bit of a, of a reset, but we are here live and uh, haven't really talked too much here. Uh, DJ in the comments, uh, just kind of getting into how we both enjoyed um, Collision that we attended live this past Saturday in Charlotte. Um, I, I my, my biggest my, my biggest point, uh, DJ, is was that my brother was completely a liar when he said that the crowd was dead because it was. It was it was live. It was good. The crowd was into it. The, you just have to understand the New Japan uh, AEW style of crowd. They were into it. There were a lot of holy shit chants. And at one point, I think there was a Rhea Ripley chant when Buddy Matthews was out there in the ring. They, it was fun. It was a good environment. The two hours went by. And in fact, the two hours went by so fast that we decided to stay two additional hours waiting for Dalton Castle to show up. And he never fucking did. <laughs> Very upset about that still. Um, yeah, although I will say the the righteous their little gimmick is has stuck with me since last Saturday. Um, their theme song is catchy as hell, and uh, they, I see that they're going to they, be on Collision this upcoming Saturday or right. Battle of the Belts, one of the two. Um, yeah, I think they got the world. Oh, they got a ROH championship, six man tag. Yep, six man. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, but you know, I totally agree that. Uh, First of all, I went to Raw in October of 2022, and nine-day difference. The crowd was hot for the opening 30, 45 minutes. They were hot for Dominic Mysterio, and then the hour and a half to two hours in between, completely dead. But anyways, I digress. Anyway. (laughs) I don't understand. I do and I don't. If if the international market might be the AEW's biggest – so I get it. It's a stadium show. You want to fill it out as much as you can. Totally get it. There it is. <laughs> um, I understand why you want to market that because it's your biggest show of the year. My biggest problem is if you're going to do that. Now, yes, is is the show being just on a American television collision? No, it's on international television. So I get it. However, for the people that are in the arena, when they look at All in London and they see that the date is 25 October, August of 2024, I'm sure that some people are like, why are they promoting something that's happening, A, overseas, B, seven months away? There's a banner right there. Why don't they just put that on TV or put that on the on the trons? And, uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. However, um, either, you know, Tony Khan coming out before the show or something um, – for 1,500 tickets uh, since Saturday to now. Um, just about all the upper deck is now sold out. So we got over 15,000 strong. They're going to be there if they wanted to. They could probably open up the entire map and just scale that stage back so small. And they could fit 20,000 people in that arena if they wanted to. 
Um, that's up to the promoter, Tony Khan, up to the event in the arena, how they want to do the scale, the scale of the stage and all that good stuff. And uh, I think it'd be cool if they could fit 20,000 in there for Sting's last match. We'll see. But uh, so far, good when it comes to Revolution in Greensboro. And uh, less than two months away. Very, very, very excited about that show. Absolutely. Speaking of Sting's last match, we got a little bit of a, and I guess I should put spoiler alert here in case you haven't watched Dynamite yet. We got a little bit of a preview of what oh, may oh, be. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, now you can go. When you say spoiler alert, you got to do the Pat McAfee, wait about 10 seconds so people can either pause it, mute it, whatever, and then you can proceed with the spoiler. Now you can continue. Go ahead. Or you could be like ESPN and just take them offline. Um, But anyways. um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But anyways, yeah. So um, we got a little bit of what may be prediction-wise, what Sting Slash Match may be. And let me tell you something. I am deeply confused because if if they're if they're uh mentioning this correctly if they're presenting this in the way it looks like it's going it looks like sting's last match is going to be a tag team match with sting and darby allen fighting the newly returning young bucks at revolution and uh, to be completely honest I'm just not a big fan of this match. Uh, you're the Sting fan. Maybe you, maybe, maybe, maybe he can't he can't run a singles match. Maybe they want to give him a, the big send off, and and they want him to have a nice big main event style match. Maybe he's just not physically into it. But the Young Bucks, like I just don't understand the context of why they would be the ones to send Sting on his way. Um, maybe you could enlighten me. Um, it's like we might get the Young Bucks. So, you know, being the big, let's not say the biggest Sting fan ever, but being a huge Sting fan and a lifelong Sting fan my entire life, uh, since he announced that Revolution 2024 was his final match, uh, from my sole focus point from a wrestling fan's perspective since November when he announced that. So anxiously awaiting for the moment that we get an idea of some clarity of who that final opponent or opponents will be. And you know what? Um, I have come to the conclusion and I came to this conclusion maybe mid December that, you know what? I have full faith that Tony Khan is letting sting on the show. Sting. Here's the pencil. Here's the book. You book it. Whatever you want, we'll make it happen. Kind of. But I would be willing to place all my savings that Sting has full autonomy when it comes to making this match happen. Um, According to Fightful Select, in 2022, Sting said that he wasn't going to be doing any more singles matches. And as far as I remember, he hasn't done any singles matches. Uh, He's got nothing left to prove when it comes to a singles run or performing singles matches. And I think that his body is pretty much done. Uh, There were some points in the show last night where just looked very wobbly. You know, I I think he's just, you know, it's time. It's the body has hit that. Hey, we're we're tapping button. Let's, let's finish the last two months and let's, let's go home. Um, He he wasn't as bad as Ric Flair though. Let's, let's just be honest. Ric Flair 
got into the ring to chop powerhouse hops and it looked like joe biden was in the middle of the ring that was just <laughs> so was. it was so it was it so was bad that. it was funny it was so bad exactly it yes it was and uh but hey rick rick made up those lame chops with the poke to the eye so it made it even funnier uh that's why they call him the dirtiest player in the game right um who is and this is where people I laugh at this comment where people say Sting versus Darby is the money match. That's it. It's right there. Why can't they see that? Why is this not happening? First of all, AEW's already made the money. They've already sold over 15,000 tickets. If they sell a few more thousand, this could skyrocket to their second or third biggest attended show since the company's history. And yes, I know 15,000 is a nightly thing for WWE, pay-per-view thing, whatever. Listen, company four years old doing this, no other company in four years did the same thing, hop off. Um, But it's already drawn big enough money. And I guarantee there's going to be at least 150,000 buys on pay-per-view, so the money's already there. Um, And listen, I can't... the merchandise line was long when we first arrived at Bojangles Coliseum. That place is going to be absolutely insane to get merchandise when it comes to March 3rd in Greensboro. We're going to need to be at the arena when it first opened so we can get the merchandise line and hopefully we'll be done before the show starts. They they need two merchandise. They need three different merchandise stands. They need one outside. They need two inside. They need to do something to mitigate that because it's going to be yeah. It's going to be bad. It's going to be crazy. I can't wait. But anyways... Um, are, are, are the, my first choice? No, no, they're not. But you know what? They're coming back as heels. And if this is how Sting wants to go out, Hey, all I can say is, you know what? I'm going to see my dude. That's the whole reason why I bought this ticket was to see him one more time, uh, and give him a proper send off. And if, if that's the match he wants, cool. Now we're still a month and a half away. Right. There's ever been a possibility that maybe the bucks are trying to formulate something and returns on Sting. And maybe even we get the versus Sting and Darby on a dynamite or collision and Darby turns on Sting then, and then we get the student versus the teacher at Revolution, which would be fine. But I think either way, I'm going to be excited for whatever match Sting is in because it's his last one, and it's going to be a proper send-off, 15,000, 16, 17,000 strong. We'll be sending the man off in style. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. And so I, I'm not a big big fan of it being the Young Bucks. I'm not necessarily disappointed that it's a tag match, especially with the fact that the entire time that Sting has announced his retirement tour, should you say, he's he's been this big – the big focal point is that Darby Allen's been the best tag team partner he's ever had. So maybe it was already written in, in the sand that – it was going to be a tag team match from the beginning because it's tag team focused. Um, I just wish or hope that if it is the Young Bucks, that they do they they need to have a really good send off storyline. It can't just be like that's eh, just things last match and then we do what we got to do. Um, I already got it. It's perfect. They're the EVPs. Sting, we brought you into the AEW. We helped write your contract. You know what? We're going to be the ones to retire you. We're going to be the dick douche EVPs to say, I got rid of Sting for good. Good riddance to get out of our our company. You know, you don't bugs are good at doing. The story writes itself. 
Fair enough. There, I, I think. <laughs> I think that's a a good point. Um, anything else that you want to mention about collision so last week, dyna, uh, dynamite yesterday? Um, look, I got one more thing. Um, dynamite's rating was not good this week. Seven hundred ninety-seven thousand. They were on an, an ascension. Um, for quite a while where they were consistently 820, 850,000 people. I don't think there was a major sporting event or anything major going on on Saturday that would, is it just fatigue? Do you, what do you think is the reason why the the rating wasn't as great as, it was like third on the TV market for live sports for the night um, behind a couple basketball games. Um, is college and pro basketball just that popular or what's going on there with the numbers? Yeah, to be fairly honest with you, I just don't think, I I think maybe that's a mixture of that, but I also think that there just wasn't something that was catapulting enough of an audience to just be like, this is a must-see, I got to tune in type of thing. Um, And I think that's just because of the AEW homecoming thing that they were, it was a solid show. It really was. But I think that there just wasn't that match to, for, for people to be like, oh, now I really need to tune in. I got to see what's going on. I got to see what's happening. Um, so I think maybe that's why. I mean, th- there was the rumor mill that maybe Mercedes was going to show up, and thankfully it didn't because, God forbid, we'd be like, oh, see, she's not a draw, this and that. But um, right. um, I just think overall it was just one of those fun shows, but nothing of utmost importance besides one or two things. Right. Besides the fact that they had pretty poor numbers, Warner was pretty happy about, I guess, the Q4 performance for for AEW. They they gave them a big shout out in their final report or whatnot for the the end of the year, first of January reporting that they had to do. Um, I think it's just a matter of time before Penn hits the paper for AEW to renew that contract um, with Warner. Um, I think. There's a mobile game that's coming out next week that I think Warner helped to develop a little bit, if I can remember correctly. I think that's the project they were working on. Um, I think you can pre-order it on your app store now. There's a lot going on with Warner and AEW and, and all of that. So, uh, Just a last little touch note on the Sting thing. I can see the case for and against this, but since Sting made his debut in December of 2020 and made his in-ring debut with AEW in March of 2021. Story going on him actually competing. Sting has not once wrestled a singles match in AEW. It's all been double trios, protect team. You can look it up. I just did. He has not had one singles match. And I think right. that's his point of, Listen, I, I'm here to have fun and, and go out on my own terms, have some fun along the way, mentor Darby Allen, this and that, but singles match. I just don't think that the body has it in it, and giving Darby the rub is never a bad thing. And um, at, at the same time, it would be really cool to be like, you know what, Sting's one and only singles match in AEW is at Revolution 2024 against Darby, student, pass the torch type of thing. Um, it, it would be cool to have that as his one and only singles match happening then, but at the same time, 
again, if the man is, is calling the shots, and I believe he is, I, I can't say, and no matter who the opponent is, if somebody's going to complain about it, everybody, somebody is not going to be happy with it. And that's fair and that's understandable. But um, again, if the man is leading the pencil and writing the book, I can't be mad at it because he's going out on his own terms. Right. And I think, I think you have, you play a big risk there if you have a singles match and it's just a very bad singles match, then everybody's yeah, and Sting is not in the, in the, in the, in the shape to be running a singles match. And that's why I think we need these tag matches that go crazy. And he does all these crazy spots and whatnot. Cause Sting is not going to give you that four or five star match anymore. And it's not going to happen. Bobby's not up for it. And, um, if this was 10 years ago, absolutely. We, we, we can have a, a singles match go 20, 25 minutes, and we'd be good. Sting send off happy, and uh, that's it. But now it's just more so of how can I entertain these people one final time with some crazy spots and going. And this is the best that he wants to do with it. Just Stinger man. You wrote the article on the the Junkyard Media Post uh, Media Group website, junkyardmediagroup.com, reviewing the Iron Claw movie. We both saw it about a week or so, uh, probably 10 days ago or so, 11 days ago. I can't remember. Uh, January 1st, I think, was when we saw it. Um, I thought it was a really good ma- movie. Match. Uh, really good movie. Um, <laughs> Mine's all over the place today, son. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it was a, a really good depiction of the family ties behind who the Von Erichs were. Obviously, with any movie, there's going to be a little bit of um, creative freedom to kind of depict the the way that the story wants to be uh, played. There were some out-of-touch dates with the reality of the picture um, in terms of timeline errors and things like that. I don't think it's all that big of a deal. Like you said in your post, it's always fun when cinema and wrestling can kind of come together um, and wrestling takes a, a forefront in the Hollywood scene. Um, you wrote about it. Tell me your thoughts on the movie. Yeah, I thought it was a good movie overall. Um, I, like I mentioned in, in, in the in the blog post that um, – when you get Hollywood and, and wrestling together and they make good movies like The Wrestler, like Iron Claw, um, it it makes you wonder why wrestling isn't more mainstream than it is because at its very core, it's cinema. And when it's done and done best, it's cinema. Um, and why people in Hollywood or mainstream media or whatever can't see that, I'll never understand it, but whatever. Um yeah, I thought that the uh, filmmaker Sean Durkin did a great job with uh, not only getting the cast and getting them ready and built. Um, did a really good job at getting Chavo Guerrero in the mix and having them train for hours, 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 hours on end. Um, I was even listening to a interview that Chavo Guerrero did with Shane Vliet on YouTube, and Chavo said, "Listen." Just one scene that you see, it's a full match. It's not, all right, guys, so let's pick it up right here. We'll end it after this move. It's They literally did an entire match for 
um, I want to say he said it was at least a good few hours just to get a few clips for the scenes they did full matches of. Uh, and that goes to the dedication of Chavo to Sean to, to make it as, as authentic as possible, but also to make it seem as, as um, uh, naturally flowing as possible. Um, is it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. Why is, like you said, some of the errors are in there, but at the same time, it's a, is it one of those that it's going to make the movie bad? No. Uh, I enjoyed it, and um, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy this movie. You could be a Zac Efron fan, um, a Sean Durkin fan. You could be a wrestling fan. You could be a moviegoer. Um, I just think that they did a really good job at uh, telling the story as best as they can in the two hours that they could with it. And, uh, you know, in general, the, the whole synopsis of the Von Erics is sad. Uh, but you, um, feeling pretty happy, pretty, pretty, uh, um, joyful. It's the word I put in there that, that there was still somebody who kind of came out on top, made it and saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, um, yeah, but they did a really good job with the movie. Absolutely. And speaking of the Von Erics, I think we kind of picked a good time to introduce the newest segment on the Beyond the Junkyard podcast. We're going to, for the next, I'd say, month, month and a half up until about the point of revolution, break down just a few of the biggest wrestling families in pro wrestling history. Our newest segment, it's called Wrestling's in Our Blood. And so we start with the Von Erich family. It's going to be a fun, fun segment to go in. Let's talk a little bit about the Von Erich family. What, what, what I kind of want to do each week when we introduce some of these families is just kind of go through some of the main um, members of the family, some of the, the stories behind the family. The Von Erich family is fun in, in particular because there's just so much tragedy that surrounds the family like the von eric curse is or maybe is or isn't a thing um so we'll, we'll break it down um and and we'll, we'll kind of see where where the family line maybe continues where it ends um i think once you get into second and third generation of family lines in the pro wrestling industry uh you uh you start to see that there there's still some wrestlers today that have Von Eric roots. And so let's break it down. We'll start at the very beginning, the, the, the patriarch of the entire family, Fritz Von Eric. And r- the reason he goes by Von Eric, I guess he has, uh, what did it, I think it's like a German, some correct. I think his grandma or something had, Von Erich was her maiden name. He his character at the time was a Nazi character, so he picked the name Fritz Von Erich. It kind of fits the character name, the German Nazi. Um, and there are some people that believe that, well, that's why the curse is what it is because he portrayed some form of Nazi character. Um, 
he Fritz von Eck was a very big part of growing WCCW World Class Championship Wrestling. He um, basically built that thing from the ground up. Partnered a little bit with the NWA and the AWA. Um, did a little bit in Japan. He was known in Japan as. Uh, let me see if I can say this correct. Tetsu no Tsume, which means the Iron Call in Japanese. Um, and he just, we go down the family line here. I mean, Fritz von Eck was a big part of maybe wrestling in general being what it was in the early 50s and 60s. Uh, pretty decent wrestler himself. Any any comments you have about Fritz before you move on? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he was obviously the guy that invented the name, the Iron Claw, uh, the creator of the move. Um a few people in that area for the 50s and 60s could really generate that absolute nuclear type of heat that Fritz could draw, obviously because of the fact that he was uh, portraying a um, Nazi, essentially, <laughs> with the Von Erich name uh, being a you know big heel. He had a tag team partner, Waldo Von Erich. Um, uh, his uh, Nazi gimmick preceded Fritz's, so they kind of just you know blended together and made up just this insanely nuclear heated tag team that, uh, you know, sometimes the most simplest things in wrestling get over and patriotism is one of those things. Um, uh, obviously, you know, we'll talk more families down the road, but the whole heart versus uh, USA type thing in the late nineties, um, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, when he turned heel and went with the Iran, Iranian uh, uh, side with the Sheik, it's it just one of those things that when it's effective, it works and it's, the simplest yet sometimes most effective storyline is patriotism. So um, it's amazing how that happens. And then, you know, obviously from there, uh, well-respected wrestler was Fritz. And um, yeah, uh, once we kind of get into, that's where we kind of start with the unfortunate tragedies that bestowed upon the family um, throughout the, the course of us talking about this, starting with Jack Jr. Right. And so Jack Jr. was six years old when he unfortunately died he got electrocuted and fell into snow up in niagara falls and drowned in a puddle of snow ah terrible (laughs) can't imagine uh how that must must have felt for the for fritz and his wife doris um but then kevin von eric was born um he was known as the Golden Warrior. He, he, I believe the movie was, that's the Zac Efron character, correct? Yes, that is Kevin, yes. Zac Efron. Um, so he's he's the only surviving member of the Von Erich family. He, he was maybe the, um, I would say he probably had the, he wasn't as well known for wrestling as some of his brothers were. His career kind of went on different paths, but he did have some pretty good feuds with like the Freebirds and Ric Flair. Um, and he was a pretty decent wrestler in and of itself. He has several kids, um, David, Michael Ross, and Kevin Marshall. They both, I believe, currently wrestle themselves. Um, and he basically sold uh, WCCW footage in the early 2000s to Vince McMahon and was representing the family as they were inducted in the Hall of Fame. 
maybe not the greatest wrestler of the family, but he was a decent wrestler in and of himself. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think David was, or excuse me, not David, Carrie, uh, Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> um, was one of the more natural athletes of the family. Um, really could just kind of do everything and do it effectively. Um, was he the biggest build? Was he the most uh, flamboyant? Was he the most um, uh, professionally executed wrestler in the world? No, but he, he did a really good job in the ring. Um, was kind of the workhorseman of the family a little bit. And uh, um, that's why he got some of the opportunities to wrestle Ric Flair for the NWA world title, why he got the Texas Heavyweight Championship belt. Um, just was a, a real focal point of, of what WCCW was um, with kind of Kevin leading the charge of the brothers. And then, of course, you know, some of the other ones would steal, not steal, but, but take the spotlight and, and be a focal point in, in themselves and storylines and, and matches and whatnot. But, um, yeah, crazy to think that, you know, my brothers, Kevin is a lone survivor. Um, that's what made the movie and that's what made this story just so impactful and powerful is that, you know, out of all the tragedies and all the sadness and the despair and the depression, um, just that one lone soul of of Kevin um, still standing strong as, um, to the the Devon Eric family and and having some children that are still kind of carrying that throughout the, the, uh, uh, the wrestling industry is what makes not only the movie, but the story, um, Happy, have a happier ending and and making it more of a uh, of a success than than anything else. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll we'll briefly catch through some of the the other brothers here. We had David Von Erich, the next born. Um, he faced off several times with Harley Race. Later on, Ric Flair. He um, was supposed to go. I think go over to Japan to fight. Flair for the NWA belt, and while he was over in Japan, um, he died of what is officially known as acute enteritis. Um, basically, his uh, I think it's intestines basically exploded on him, um, and that's the official cause of death. But there has been some controversy. People like Ric Flair and Bruiser uh, or Mick Foley uh, claimed claims and a lot of wrestlers claim that it was drug overdose that that killed david um he had uh, made this is why i think this like a generational curse he had one daughter named natasha who died in infancy um and and so um and then he i believe didn't have any other children other than that um then we get into Carrie, who eventually did beat Ric Flair for the NWA title um, at the tribute show in honor of David. Um, but Dave, Dave, uh, Carrie faced his own demons. He was probably the most well-known of the Von Erics. He spent a little bit of time in uh, with the WWF at the point, now WWE. Um, he won the Intercontinental Championship in, at SummerSlam in 1990. Um, but his demons would later, later on catch him. He, um, he had two daughters, Holly Brooke and Lacey Dawn. We'll talk about Lacey here in a minute. Um, and 
unfortunately, in 1993, he shot himself in the heart um, and killed himself. And uh, here's a fun fact that may, I don't I don't know if Bret Hart should have said this, but in his autobiography, he basically said that Kerry told him he was going to kill himself. And uh, I don't know why Bret Hart didn't wouldn't have tried to stop him. That's just kind of a weird thing to to admit. Um, yeah. And then Mike. <laughs> and then Mike Von Erich, um, probably not the most physically gifted of the Von Erich brothers. Um, he took over wrestling, I believe, uh, when David died, and, and now he had to be the third part of the Von Erich trio. Um, he had no interest in being in the ring full-time. He wanted to work as a cameraman. Um, and I guess during his wrestling career, he had a shoulder surgery, led to toxic shock syndrome, and eventually – like maybe pain, maybe whatever it was, depression, whatever it could have been, he decided to take a fatal dose of tranquilizers. I think in the movie they depicted it as pills, but uh, tranquilizers and killed himself, um, unalived himself. Sorry, you can't say kill yourself on YouTube. Um, you might get banned. And then Chris Von Erich was not mentioned in the movie, but he also... Um, very short in stature, had a lot of health problems, brittle bones, wasn't the wrestler that he wanted to be. And because of that, he um, mixed in with the loss of his brother, Mike, also took his own life. It um, leads me to this question. Do you, they, they say there's a Von Erich curse. Would you agree? Is there a curse of the Von Erichs or is this all circumstantial? To be quite honest, more circumstantial. And the reason why I say that is David's death could be brought up as a curse. And even maybe to the, to, to an extent, Jack Jr., um, those were things that kind of, from what we're led to believe, were outside of their own control. Um, Mike and David, uh, Mike and Carrie, and Chris, um they all killed themselves. So at that point, it goes for me, it's in my opinion, from unfortunate and, and curse-ish to more just circumstance because they took their own lives. Had it been a plane crash, had it been another drowning, had it been, um, you know, if, if Mike had gone into surgery, when they had that shoulder surgery, and then... Um, had that toxic syndrome where his fever spiked. And then from there, he was never the same. And if he passed away from that, right. you know, some other things that, that were out of their control more so than not um, that they passed away from, I would say that it would be more circumstantial. But, but when you have more deaths than not that were caused by overdosing, suffering from like the gunshot wounds, um, then you're taking your own matter in your own hands. You're taking your own life in your own hands. Um, so while I think that in some ways there could be a curse of some, of some things and maybe the, the previous passings of their brothers cause them to do things like that. Um, at that point they're, they're taking their own lives in their own hands. They're no longer 
passing away from exterior forces that cause him to be misfortunate, unlucky type of thing. Just my absolutely. Uh, um, we move into the third generation of Von Erichs, and uh, like I said, there were there's Ma- Ross Marshall and Lacey who who continued the name in wrestling. Um, we'll, we'll start with Ross and Marshall. They were just shown while AEW was in Texas. They did a little bit of work there. Um, I think it's so cool to, to know that they were trained by not only Kevin Von Erich, but Harley Race, the, the guy that they, you know, the Von Erichs did a lot of um, work with in the ring while they were wrestling themselves, helped train um, Marshall and uh, Ross to, to be the wrestlers they are now. Um, they made their national TV debut in 2014 and TNA. Um, I believe they at one point were signed with MLW, though I don't know if they're still under contract um, with MLW. So they, they have pretty decent experience. They, as I mentioned, they were they were shown in AEW, though I don't know if they have officially signed a contract with AEW. Um, and they're actually pretty pretty decent wrestlers in and of their own right. And Carrie wasn't the only Von Erich to be featured in WWE because Lacey Von Erich, Carrie's daughter, um, was also in WWE for a short period of time. Um, she was signed in 2007 there, was brought in under the Florida Championship Wrestling FCW brand. Um, she managed Billy Kidman. Um she appeared as a valet for Maurice and Ryan O'Reilly. She made her debut against Natty Neidhart and Natalia. Um, so she she didn't have a big play in WWE, but she she was in WWE in some some fashion there. Um, she also worked uh, in TNA, where she was TNA Knockouts Champion in 2010. And then I guess out of just uh, she was part of the beautiful people with Velvet Sky and Madison Rain. Um, and then she just kind of left wrestling um, due to, I believe, an injury. Um, and she just kind of left the wrestling business. Um, and outside of that, due to, you know, the family history, the, the legacy of the Von Erics kind of ends there. Um I hope big things for Ross and Marshall. I hope I hope that they sign with AEW or WWE given the opportunity if they do. Um, but overall, what would you say the legacy of the Von Eric family would be? Obviously, the entire family in and of itself was um, inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2009 or 2010, I believe. Um, and me personally, I think without the Von Eriks, the wrestling scene in Texas may not be as big as it ha- is currently. Um, they, they played a really big part in Texas wrestling and, and the history there, and, and I think they're a really big part of wrestling wrestling history. Yeah, I think that they're overall um... – 
their overall legacy in wrestling is going to be one of unfortunate tragedy uh, mixed in with ultimate with success. Um, the family was able to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship with Kerry, um, and and having some success by going to the WWF by running their own successful promotion for a while, um, and then ultimately you know creating a, a legacy that we still talk about to this day and now movie was made out of it so um it's one of those um tragedies that to me has a happy ending to it with with kevin being um so and being married to his wife for over 40 years and having uh, children grandchildren um and they're happy now they're healthy and they're doing their own thing and and marshall and ross are trying to carry on that that uh von eric legacy um it's funny you mentioned about uh Lacey, they, uh, she is a part owner of a wrestling promotion in Texas called SWE Fury, um, kind of labeled as a in-your-face Texas-style wrestling. So I think that's more so of a callback to um, the WCCW days of that in-your-face-style Texas wrestling. I think that's what uh, Lacey is part owner of, of doing that. So she's still kind of in the wrestling business a little bit. Definitely took a hiatus there for quite a while. Um, and... Um, it seems like she's slowly getting her way back into it. SWE Fury is still a, um, uh, a promotion that goes on to this day, primarily in Texas. They run, uh, looks like shows every few weeks, if not every month. Um, yeah, they definitely, um, will carry on a legacy that will live in infamy for sure. And, um, by way of not only their documentaries on, um, WWE Network, Peacock, or uh, Vice with Dark Side of the Ring, or now the movie. Um, probably the most unique family in wrestling history that had so much success, so much tragedy in such a short period of time that um, baffles you to read the story and, and learn about the story, and learn about these uh, these family members and what they went through and what Kevin has gone through in his life and yet still is, is here today on this earth and... Um, Still carrying on and still keeping on. So um, really, really good way to kick off the series with a uh, family that's um, obviously in the news a lot with with the movie. So it only made sense to write the blog today and kind of prelude that to our topic tonight. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a good way to to kick off the series. And, um, yeah. Yeah, some families that we'll, we'll talk about here in the next couple weeks. Obviously, we'll talk about the Rhodes family uh, leading up to, to WrestleMania. That'll be fun talking about Cody, Dusty, Dustin, um, that family there. We'll talk about the McMahons. Uh, you can't have a series about wrestling families without the McMahons. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about um, the Armstrong family, um, Scott Armstrong, uh, Road Dog, those that fan, I think he's Brian, right? Brian Bullet Armstrong. Bob, Bullet Bob, um, and then I think there was one more that I had in uh, the Hart family. Yeah, we can't we can't miss well, the Hart family. Forget about the Hearts. <laughs> um, so the Hart family there, they're like the the penultimate family there. We'll we'll talk about the Hearts. Um, they they've been kind of riddled in some tragedy as well, and so that'll be fun to talk about. And then if there's any other wrestling families that we haven't mentioned that you want to want us to talk about, shoot us a comment, shoot us a message, contact us. Um, 
you can you can email us if you have any ideas on what you want us to talk about. Go, I believe it's uh, I think it's contact at drunkyarnmediagroup.com um, or just send us a DM on the Instagram or not Instagram. Uh, my mind's all over the place. On the You're Twitter yourself page, a day today, sir. <laughs> on the Twitter page at drunkyardmg. Uh, you can just leave us a message there and, and tell us, hey, talk about X, Y, and Z, and, and, and we'll we'll put it into the fit of the mix there. If you want to ever join the show, let us know. We can we, we'll see what we can do to add. We'd love to have people hop on and then talk some wrestling. Um, other than that, you got any last words, my friend? Follow us. Join us on in the disc. It's a fun way for casual wrestling fans and hardcores like myself and you being able to converse and convene um, daily as we talk about, obviously, things we love within pro wrestling, talk about um, company-centric things. You, not only in there, we talk about sports. We talk about literally anything and everything that you guys want to. So please, please come on into the Discord. Join us. We're friendly. We're, we're fine folk. Uh, um, so join. And uh, hey, absolutely. We definitely got to have you on for sure. Um, we can definitely uh, have a Q&A session within the Discord as well. But uh, yeah, either way, join it in there. Um, all the links to the social medias are in there. The Discord group is in there. So uh, click those links, join us, follow us, come along this journey with and uh, just be a part of the conversation. It's uh, fun to talk about other uh, or fun to talk with people about things we love within pro wrestling. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, I'll do one more time that that link, junkyardmediagroup.com, like you said. The Discord's there, the, the Twitter page is there, the Facebook page is there. Um, all the podcast links are there. Um, it's the one-stop the one stop shop to get you all of your info. We'll, uh, we'll see y'all next next Thursday. Before we end the podcast, um, just over the last week, just, you know, wrestling field things on Twitter and Facebook or whatnot. Um, as you know, dear, near and dear to my heart is WCW. Yes. Uh, I follow David Penzer on X Twitter, who was the one of the more famous ring announcers for WCW. No, not Michael Buffer, but when you hear most of the Nitros and Thunders and pay-per-views um, between like 96 to 2001. David Penzer was primarily the, the the announcing besides Michael Buffer doing the main events. Uh, and most famously here from like 2006 to just recently, Penzer was the ring announcer for, for TNA. Um, he posted a thing on, on, on X recently asking if him and Gary Michael Capetta could do like a um, Q&A session about the brains of them in WCW and Gary Michael Capetta was um, the main ring announcer for WCW from like 1988 to 1988 to like to 1994, 1995. So he put up a thing saying, would you guys like to see that? And I commented and said, yes, we would love to see that. You got to make a stop in somewhere. So Click this, maybe send it to me, and I'll, I'll post it on the X. Or if you want to post on the uh, the Junkyard uh, Media Group X page and, and Facebook, I'll tag David Penzer and Michael Gary Michael Capetta. Make the tour happen, y'all. Make it happen. Would love to pick y'all's brains when it comes to what what it was like to be in WCW in the '90s, and uh, do a little bit of a tour and and have some fun with it. So 
that's my ploy. That's my call out. Please make that happen. And um, uh, yeah, um, I don't feel sorry for Alabama fans. I don't feel sorry for any other fans. Um, my college football team was fine. My Washington Commanders are about to have the best general manager and head coach in the world. We're going to run our way up. Um, happy times in, in, in this household here. <laughs> well, yes, sir. DrunkYourMediaGroup.com. We'll see you all next, <laughs> next uh, Thursday. What's today? Thursday. Uh, make sure that – Get some sleep, son. Go to bed. <laughs> Maybe next week we get a Celsius or a C4 and let's have ourselves an energetic podcast. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll see you all next week. Um, follow us on all the pages. Uh, and share all of this, the audio version of this posted here shortly. Make sure you share that on Apple and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. We really want to know how you feel, but don't give us a one-star. Give us that five-star. We need them. That's how we know how we're doing. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all next Thursday here on the Junkyard Media Group for Beyond the Junkyard. Okay, I think it's...